Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and I'm sitting here with uh, a table full of friends that I just met this week. And at the time of this recording, it's mid-September, and uh, New Song Church and Feeding Windsor Essex have been hosting these guys all week. These are members of the Extreme Tour, and tonight we're going to be in the Glengarry housing neighborhood to put on a barbecue and an outdoor concert and uh, so what I'd love to do just to get the ball rolling here is uh, have each of you uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are uh, where you live and uh, what you do with the extreme tour so starting with you Mr. Curtis <laughs> awesome well my name is Damon Curtis but as an artist, I go by Idioms the Professor or Grandpa Flawless, whatever you want to call me. Currently living in Nashville, and for this portion of the tour, I am the primary tour leader, so I'm leading the team that is here to serve in Canada. I am Sam Kislow. I currently live in Nashville, been there about 10 years. Uh, I am the program manager for the organization as a whole uh, as we travel around the world putting on concerts and events. Uh, I am an artist as well, but uh, it's just my name. <laughs> and I don't have any socials, so you can't find me. I'm, a, I'm one of those, I'm real underground. <laughs> I found you though. Yeah, I found your YouTube page from your old band. Ah, so. yes, this yeah. is true. So we'll include that in the show notes. So, you know, cool. a whole new generation of Sam Kislow fans. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> My name is Manny Hubbard. Uh, I am a multi-instrumentalist. I play a lot of hard rock music. I'm on the Extreme Tour as an artist. I was just on the West Coast, and now I'm here in Canada, and it's been an amazing experience. So, yeah, and where do you live? I live in Holiday, Florida. Holiday, Florida. And and what's, uh, what's your other side hustle? Uh, professional wrestling. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Training, so... Yes, you're in a training school learning how to how to be a wrestler. Well, you know yes. how to wrestle. You're learning how to put on a good show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Um, my name is Danielle. I currently live in South Carolina. I serve as an artist with the Extreme Tour. That is Danielle with a Y, not an I. I had nothing to do with that. My parents are special. <laughs> um, yes, and my artist name is Danielle Speaks. Danielle Speaks. And uh, we're all just a, a little bit tired at the table today <laughs> because we just came across the road from uh, Sawyer's Craft Barbecue, mm-hmm. uh, where they do a lot of lot of smoked meats and stuff. And uh, anybody want to do a food review here on Sawyer's? Maybe I'll get a sponsorship out of this. <laughs> Twenty out of ten. Twenty out of ten. There you go. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. As somebody who currently lives in the South United States having Texas barbecue in Canada was novel and it honestly ranks up in my top three of Texas barbecue I've ever had. Absolutely. So look look out Texas. Yeah, look out Texas. Canada's coming for you. Definitely top tier. (laughs) So um, I'm going to go back to uh, to Damon and Sam. You guys, um, you work full time for the Extreme Tour. And uh, each of you, just tell us about what the Extreme Tour organization is, 
how it came to be. Anything you want to tell us about the Extreme Tour? What is it? I think you do the history a little bit better than, than I do. Why don't we start with you talk about what it is we do, and then I'll talk about how that came He'll to fill be. in the blanks. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anything that you forget, he'll remember. I what does it that. look like now, and where did it come from? I'll, I'll take care of that side. Okay. Awesome. So the Extreme Tour is a collective of artists um, who come together every year, and we are traveling to communities, more times than not disadvantaged communities, communities that have been left out or, or overlooked even, um, and our goal is to use music as a tool to demonstrate and then declare God's love to the community. So we want them to be seen, we want them to be celebrated, we want them to know that there is a purpose and no matter what they're going through, um, you know, it's not for nothing mm -hmm. because God doesn't create us for nothing. We have purpose. So that's right. what we do and why we do it. Mm -hmm. And it came about because... So uh, the founder of the Extreme Tour is a guy named Ted Bruin. Uh, you can look him up uh, on socials. Mm -hmm. But uh, he started this, the, the name Extreme Tour actually came out of a youth group. Uh, he was serving at, uh, well, back up a little bit. He had a TV show. Yes. And some events in his life took him to Twin Falls, Idaho, which is a small town in Idaho. Um, and... He had this TV show, it was syndicated, it was everywhere, and it was music videos for Christian music. And so he would do, this is before the MTV kind of TRL, like announcing like, and next up is this artist, and everybody screams, and you know. And so he's down trying to get shots on something called the cruise. I don't know if you're familiar with the term here uh, but the cruise is where all the kids kind of go they usually park somewhere they're hanging out with each other they're drinking they're smoking they get in their cars they drive up and down the street one at a time and everybody cheers and you know it's just kind of a way for them to feel a part of some sort of community right right, right. and so he was going down there because that's where all the people were and he's like, I'm going to use these people in my shots. And I'm going to say, like, and, and up next is the next uh, uh, video from the Newsboys or whatever. And, you know, everyone, yeah. But the problem that was happening was when he would do that, all the guys in the back, they had seen what this looks like. And they know that he's a Christian. And they're doing whatever they can to kind of get in the way of that. So they're flashing the camera and holding up their 40s <laughs> and flipping it off. And, you know. And honestly, and he's very open about this, the wrong thinking that he had at the time was, these guys are wrecking my shots. Somebody needs to do something about this, right? Yes, he saw the brokenness. Yes, he saw uh, this need for ministry that people needed to really find a way out of where they were, but... Honestly, at the time, he's a teenager, you know, he's in his late teens, and he's like, I'm not the guy to do that, so I'm going to take it to the people that I know who it is their job. So he brings it to these places, and when he walks into some of these churches, they're like, we don't have those kind of people here. Mm -hmm. you, you, They don't exist here, right? <laughs> people who are marginalized and mm -hmm. and uh, not not living the 
church life. Those are those are big city problems from Portland. We don't have that stuff here. Right. Right. And he's like, well, here's the videos. And they go, oh, yeah, we know this person. We know this person. We know this person. You know what? They grew up in the church. You know, this is a pastor's daughter or whatever. Um, they've made their choice. They're an acceptable loss. Wow. An acceptable loss. There was a, a key moment where he uh, asked a young lady, uh, and this is on video. We have the, the video of this. He asked the young lady, hey, what did you think of this? And she looks at him, and she pulled a gun from her waist, and she pointed it at his head, and she's completely drunk or inebriated in some way. He goes, I could kill you right now. And, and the way he tells the story is, you know, you think of like, if you've ever seen the cross and the switchblade, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, where Nikki Cruz is holding that knife up to uh, Wilkerson. He goes, I could cut you. And he goes, and every single piece would tell you I love you, <laughs> right? So you would think, you know, there, there's that kind of thing. No, he's freaking out. <laughs> but before he could even do anything, yeah. she turns the gun on herself and she goes, I could shoot me right now. It wouldn't even matter. And that told him everything that he needed to know about what she thought about God and what she thought about herself. And so when he went to these churches and they wouldn't do anything, he's like, well, I'm going to do something. So he got connected with the church. He became a youth pastor. He started a youth program and he had all these gang members and prostitutes and child strippers and all these people coming to his youth group. And there's some wild, amazing stories out of that. And he was bringing bands. He saw artists and musicians as warriors, right? These are the guys who, they're the ones who helped me when I was young. They can help other people because music is powerful. And so he starts bringing in all these bands and he brought in a band and they were like, well, I'm not going to go down that because that, that will take even longer. But uh, <laughs> I tend to talk a lot. Uh, after he opened this venue and was bringing all these artists in, and he started using more local artists instead of big-name artists because of budget. cost and yeah. budget and also the fact that some of the artists that he was bringing were like, no, that's not us, mm. you know? Uh, we don't do that kind of thing. See, we're entertainers, mm. right? And so he was like, well, you can go home because they don't know who you are anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't care if you're insert random big name Christian artist. We They don't know who you are. Yeah. So he starts getting local artists because it doesn't matter. They're looking for an experience. Yep. They're coming for something awesome that is coming to them like what is this thing it doesn't matter who's up on stage they're looking for that feeling that they get when they come to a show except Mm -hmm. for this is coming without a negative cause there's no Mm -hmm. sexual or drugs or or anything we're just talking about love and hope and some guys out in portland and in salem heard what he was doing and said can you come here and do this can you do it over here as well? 
And so the first Extreme Tour was born. It was three cities. It was Twin Falls, Portland, and Salem, Oregon. And then back. Uh, that was 1992. And uh, 1993 was that first one. 30 years. 30 years. This is the 30th year. Uh, 1993. And from there, it has ebbed and flowed. Uh, prior to COVID, we were in 120 cities in the U.S., and 30 countries worldwide. Mm. Uh, after COVID, uh, that has gone down. We are now in eight countries and still close to 70 cities in the U.S. Um, and still growing. And that was, we actually did closer to 100 cities last year, but we shortened it a little bit so that we could be up here with you guys yeah. doing what you're doing here. So, and, and it's not uh, you guys just you know, blowing in on your, uh, your big tour bus. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it's, it's chitty chitty bang bang, you know, three vehicles showing up uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you, you're, you're sleeping in our uh, student ministry center upstairs. Yes, yes. Like you're, you're missionaries, man. You're, you're roughing it. But we're feeding you really well. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. So talk about, uh, you know, when, when you're on a tour, like you came in here uh, Monday and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll be leaving on, on Monday. Um, there's uh, basically two big shows. One tonight, we're going down to the Glengarry neighborhood, which is uh, probably the toughest neighborhood in our city. Um, and to doing a barbecue and a free concert right in the middle of the buildings. And, and then Sunday afternoon, there's a, a street festival uh, where you guys will be doing an afternoon concert just outside of our church building here out in the field. Um, but what do you do um, the rest of the time? Well, sure. Normally on a tour. Um. So we're, we're a little at weekly schedule. Yeah, we're a little atypical here um, just because of the way that things came together. But to give you an idea of our weekly schedule, we are normally doing three events per week. Um, and the way that the week looks is we'll start off on Monday. We call that a travel day. And that's uh, everybody traveling to our, our pre-assigned destination. And we'll usually meet up Monday evening. Um, if we're going to have new artists joining us on the road, Monday is when that happens. So um, we'll have an orientation with the artist and, and just kind of get settled in um, to wherever we're going to be staying. Uh, Tuesday, uh, what we'll do is we'll have um, a midday meeting. We'll call it our search and rescue meeting. And I'll talk more about search and rescue in a moment. But that's basically where we talk about the mission, mm -hmm. um, how we envision executing the mission, and, and uh, some of the strategies that we use. Um, and then we allow the artists the opportunity to go out into the city kind of on their own. Um, and explore things, but while they're exploring things, kind of keeping the mission in mind and, and putting some of the strategies that we talked about in practice. Um, once we do that, we'll come back and have dinner Tuesday, um, and then we'll have a more structured search and rescue um, schedule. So in other words, after dinner, we will go into the community with purpose. We're going in to um, build relationships with the community because it's cool that we're coming in to put on a show, but if they don't trust us, they're not going to care about how much sound equipment or what, how good the music is anyway. And so we believe really that the uh, best opportunity um, to be effective is to build those relationships with people. So in my opinion, search and rescue is probably the best thing that we do is the most important thing that we do because without building relationships, if they don't know that we care, mm 
then yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and then from there, Wednesday is usually our first event. And so we will set up for the event. All of the artists pitch in. We don't have roadies. Part of the Extreme Tour experience is um, to build unity amongst the team and amongst the artists and, and to kind of break down those barriers of superstardom is that we all pitch in and we help. So we, yeah. we drive a van out to the site. We pull out the audio equipment. We set up the stage. We're climbing up rafters to put lights on and lifting heavy speakers and doing all the things. Um, and then we have the event. And the event is I hope you have a sponsorship by Voltaren. Or <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't Some have kind anything. of liniment company. Yeah. <laughs> none of that. No, no. Um, we'll have the event. The event will run about four hours or so, and, and it's packed not just with music, but there's activities, there, mm -hmm. there are games. We're really trying our best to engage the community and, and keep them engaged and, and, again, continue building those relationships that we started the night before. Yeah. We'll, we'll tear down, we'll reflect on um, those moments, and then Thursday, we're usually traveling to the next city. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as we get to that city, we'll have dinner, and then we'll go out and we'll do search and rescue. You usually do two a week. But yeah, we're doing three, three shows a week. Oh, because, oh, yeah. Exactly, because Wednesday is a show, Thursday we move to the next city, and, yeah. and we go out into the community. Friday is a show. Well, we got the bonus. We got you for a whole week. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. yeah, exactly. And then Saturday, the same thing. We'll move yeah. on to the next city. Mm -hmm. And Sunday is usually yeah. our third show. Yeah. So we, mm -hmm. we have a pretty packed schedule. Mm. Yeah. So talk about uh, where, wherever you're going, um, who do you partner with? And uh, you know, what do those kind of uh, partnerships look like? Uh, is it always churches? Are there other organizations that you sometimes partner with? What's I think you can. Yeah, so the majority of our community partners are churches. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea when we're looking for a potential partner or somebody is to find the remnant, mm -hmm. you know, who God has left behind in a community, who has a heart for community, maybe not the resources to reach out, or maybe they don't know how, but they want to learn. You go into right. the hard places yes. where the the church often is not in, demonstrating in its strength, right? Correct. Yeah. And so uh, we look for those people who have a heart for that, but not necessarily uh, a way to do that, and they'll use us as a tool. Yeah. Uh, the whole idea of this ministry is we are a tool for the local body to use mm -hmm. in the way that is best effective for connecting the people we meet at the event to the local partner because mm -hmm. that's the whole point now the majority of that are christian churches uh, of all denominations mm -hmm. we've worked with so many different in the past everything from catholic to uh, orthodox uh, eastern orthodox churches to uh, the the anglican church to the wide array, we stayed at Seventh-day Adventist churches. Yes. Uh, they, they weren't our partner, but they were like, yeah, you guys can, missionaries can come sleep on our floor. Um, you know, they've, they've partnered in ways like that. Like, it's been a, an absolutely beautiful experience for that. But every now and then we find somebody who has a heart for their community that does not share our faith. Mm -hmm. And there are some towns in the United States where the city brings us in. Chamber of Commerce calls us and says, what you guys do and what you have done in the past, maybe there or maybe they saw something from a, a neighboring town, has an effect mm -hmm. 
and it's a positive change. And we would like you to come do that here, yeah. even though they don't share our faith. So what we then do is search for a body of people that we can turn those we meet over to for discipleship, mm -hmm. because that's our goal is to build disciples. Mm -hmm. um, but they may not be the main coordinator person. They're just our handoff. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, a good example of that would be in Searchlight, Nevada. Very, very small town. Probably 500 people, hmm. roughly. Uh, and the guy who brings us in is now a Christian, but he wasn't. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he grew up in the only church that exists in Searchlight, Nevada and had walked away from faith and opened a community drop-in center for the kids <laughs> because he felt that they needed a safe place to go and you know a way to get away from the the drugs and the things that were inundating mm. their really small community um and then we reached out randomly we were just looking for somewhere to go when we were putting together our roster mm -hmm. and he was like yeah you know what you can't stay here but I know the people at the church. Mm -hmm. So he got us in contact with his family yep. who's at the church. And then we got in contact with their pastors. And now that church brings us back. And he's a key part of that. And he has now come to the Lord, which is amazing. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. And, you know, so we, we work with partners of all different types. Of It's whoever really, and this applies to the artists as well, people who feel called or compelled um, we believe by God, even if they don't recognize it, to reach out mm -hmm. to the lost, the broken, the the ones that are often overlooked. Mm. That's great. Yeah, if I if I didn't have something else to do, man, I'd be signing up. <laughs> can I can I hop in the back seat? <laughs> Come, Come on! on. I don't need, we'll I don't need much. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> um, what I'd lo like love to do is uh, just hear each of you. Uh, talk about your journey to Jesus, um, your journey to Jesus, to music, and to mission. Mm. And uh, so um, you haven't spoken much yet, so now Danielle speaks. Uh, <laughs> Can we start so with journey, you, or you sure, want a minute? Sure. Um, All right. My journey to Christ is I, I grew up in church. Mm -hmm. um, my, if the doors were open, we were there, at least for four to five days a week. That's, church is just what we did. Mm -hmm. um, but it did build relationships because it was a very community-oriented church. Mm -hmm. Like, when you came to the church, you would, before you left, if that was your first Sunday, you had at least five to six invites to go out to eat. Wow. And there was someone who came to your house that week dropping off groceries. Mm -hmm. So it was very uh, community-oriented. But I also... Community? Do you mean inwardly community, like to each other? Inwardly or? to each other. Um, How about outward? Not as much. Yeah. Not as much. But if you came there, then it was like in inclusion. Right. Um, but it did show me, it gave an example of the brotherly love of how to treat people. I think sometimes that, that's overlooked now. Because it's like you can go to a church and it's like, well, what are you doing after church? Well, me and my family, you know, we are going to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people kind of struggle with trying to find that camaraderie yeah. within the church. So I, I grew up in that 
environment, which is kind of different, but I liked mm-hmm. it. I really liked it. But I also knew, even at a young age, that I needed a savior. Like, I was, I was one of those kids where I didn't sit in the back of the church. Mm-hmm. I literally sat in the front, and they had to tell me to move to the back. They was like, you know, these are for the deacons. Like, <laughs> you really need to be back with the kids. And I was like, they talk too much. Like, I need to be up front so I can hear. Um, and then at seven year, years old, I went to uh, our head minister, and I was like, I want to be baptized. And he, he told me, he said, you're too young. Like, you, you don't know what that means. I was like, yes, I do. He was like, no, you don't. So you need, need to wait. I wore him out for six months straight. Six months straight. <laughs> Before church, after church, Wednesday Bible study, youth night, you name it. Finally, he pulls me in the office. He said, let's talk. And he was like, why do you want to be baptized? I was like, he, I said, I, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I want to take it a step further. I want to be baptized into the kingdom so that everyone sees that Jesus is, Jesus is the, the way to, to the Father. The way to the Father is through the Son, and mm-hmm. I'm accepting that fully, and I want everyone to see it. And you were how old? I was seven. Seven. So mm-hmm. he went to my parents. He said she described better why she wanted to be baptized than most adults, so I'm going to baptize her. Yeah. So on my eighth birthday, that's why I remembered it, because it was literally on my eighth birthday, I got <laughs> baptized. That's awesome. Um, and I just, I, I just knew that Christ was for me, period. Mm-hmm. Nobody could talk me out of it. But I also came from a very musical family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my parents were in the choir. My brother and sister went to youth performing art school, so they were singing, they were dancing, um, acting. They they we're doing it all. So my musical influence was everything from jazz to country to pop. Um, but the music that we grew up in, there was no instrumentation. So your voice was the instrument and you better be on key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you better find a note, <laughs> all right, that you are the instrument. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. And I, my dad bought me my first instrument. Was it it's your guitar. Uh, I still don't know how to play it, but I love it and respect it. <laughs> and then my brother, he went into the military and he sent me home my very first keyboard. Mm. And I was like, OMG. So you could always find me. I was always in the house trying to put music together. Mm. So when I turned 16, I released my first jazz single wow. um, called You Mean the World. And then by the time I turned 21, I had my first record deal with a major uh, recording label. Hmm. Um, it was not Christian. And through the, just through the course of that year, um, we got dropped through a lot of arguing that started to happen. But God showed me something in that moment. He said, if you're going to be for me, be for me. Mm-hmm. Because you're really not ready for what it is that you think you're ready for in this music industry. It's a whole other animal. It's a whole other beast. So I saw through that, and that's just for me. I'm not saying that for anyone else, you know, don't do that. For me, my calling was I had to choose. Yeah. I had to choose what God I was going to serve. Mm-hmm. So I stepped away from music. I, I had to recalibrate, and then he brought me back in, and I was like, okay, God, whatever within me that you can use, mm-hmm. do that. And I have been writing and, and doing music um, ever since then. I started out in prison ministry then. I was visiting a church, and they wanted volunteers. And I, clear as day, I heard the Lord say, do that. 
Um, and I had a lot of people that tried to discourage me from that. It was like, you don't want to go into the prisons. It's dangerous. You know, you're, you're a woman. Like, what are you doing? The first day I went in, I was like, yes, this is for me. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. this. I just knew. Um, the so, call of God's like that, isn't it? it yes. It doesn't make sense, sense to onlookers. But you know. But you, you know, know it when you know yeah, it. Yeah, you got the peace. You know yeah. it and you know it. And I've been doing this since then. Uh, prison facilities, that's both men and women, maximum mm-hmm. security prisons, mm-hmm. both federal and state. Mm-hmm. Uh, youth detention centers, um, places of um, drug and alcohol rehabilitation where they use music mm-hmm. as part of their recovery program. Mm-hmm. So we were able to go in and just do concerts for them. Yep. Uh, youth ranches and um, places where people have been brought in off the streets where they were victim of human sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a unique ministry, I think, that a lot of people don't go into just because of the roughness of it. Mm-hmm. But I know that's where God called me to be, which is yeah. actually uh, when I partnered with my brother Damon over here, I took him inside a prison facility yeah. with me. I was like, bro, like you gotta go, dude. Like <laughs> they gotta hear you. And he went, and that's how I got introduced to the extreme tour. Mm-hmm. He was like, sis, there's this group of people that I met. They do the same thing you do, only is out in the community. Yeah. I was like, okay, sure, I'll give it a give it a shot. Um, and I applied. I, I sent them my music, and we just we we've partnered since then. That was yeah. in 2019. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your music. My music is, it, I'm an eclectic when it comes to music, so that's how God uses me. Mm-hmm. Because it depends on where we are and where I am on the lineup, what I do. So my music will go anything from what's considered like Christian neo-soul-ish, Christian R&B-ish, um, to rap, to spoken word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, that's just how God uses me. It's like, mm-hmm. what do you want me to do, Lord? I've even written some songs to like some real hardcore heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, yeah. But it's God, for your glory, what do you want me to do? Yeah. So when you go to my, any of my social media or anything and you're li- listening for music, you may listen to two songs and they sound similar, and then you'll go back and listen to something else. It's like, okay, this is completely different. Like, I had someone tell me last year, he was like, did you change genres? And I was like, <laughs> I was like no. Um, it just depends on what season you catch me in. So, yeah. yeah. That's good. And I noticed uh, Manny kind of perked up, leaned forward when you said heavy music. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, Manny, uh, let's, let's hear from you, your journey to Jesus, uh, to music, and to mission. Yeah. Let's, let's start from the beginning, shall we? Um, <laughs> I grew up in a Christian household and always went to church with my family, my mom and dad. They've been in ministry. I've been on a few mission trips to Mexico and, uh, you know, my, my parents have always been involved in the church, so I grew up in the church. Yeah. It was, yeah. So I always knew who Jesus was and I gave my life to Christ when I was about five, mm-hmm. roughly. And that was just the beginning. I just wanted to learn more about him and learn about who I was in Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I started uh, doing like plays at church and stuff like that. My parents have also done like a lot of uh, Christmas plays and a lot of like theater and whatnot mm-hmm. at their churches. So mm-hmm. I always did that. I was um, I would sing at church every now and then. I always loved music. Mm-hmm. I've always loved to be on the stage and 
just to use my gifts and talents for God. And yeah, um, that kind of changed a little bit when I was, when I started to become a teenager. Uh, mm. I was homeschooled up until I was about 12. And then I went to a private school for the first time and that just completely changed everything that I thought about the world. Mm -hmm. And it, it shaped me a lot. And you met the serpent and had a big slice of apple pie. <laughs> you could say that. And I, I don't want to say that I ever like fell away from my faith. I've always yeah. believed in God and I yeah. always believed in Christ. And I always, my mentality is I can't live without you. This is all I am is because of you. Yeah. And I wouldn't be where I am because of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I believe, you know, you know, even while I was, you know, stuck in my sin, that Christ died. Mm -hmm. And my faith grew in those really, really rough moments mm -hmm. throughout high school and even to college. Like, mm -hmm. I, when I was about 16, I was just having a really hard time with my life. Didn't like who I was. I hated school. I just hated life. And for a very brief moment, I just said to myself, I want to die. I don't want to live. Yeah. I was going through some stuff in high school and just, I just, it was a new atmosphere for me and I just yeah. didn't know how to handle it and I was just tired of life. And then, and that was brief, but at that moment I just felt the love of God just hold me and I just could not stop crying. Cause mm -hmm. I'm just like, God, I, what are you doing? And I just feel him, you know, just comforting me in those moments. Yeah. And it was rough, but I got through it, and I realized that life is beautiful and life is worth living, even in the rough times. And I, I've written, that's when I started to write songs a little bit, mm -hmm. after those rough times. And a lot of what I talk about is just my testimony, my, just, you know, my pain, my suffering, what's going through my mind, and yeah. just feeling like maybe someone could relate to this. Yeah. And... Um, started writing some stuff and that didn't come out till I was in college when I started mm -hmm. to go for music after after coming out of that I uh, I had a friend of mine in high school who said hey we need a bass player for the jazz combo and they did a couple shows around the area and I was getting into like Metallica and everything and I always grew up with heavy music yeah. but yeah. I love music and yeah. my roots are actually in Christian music uh -huh. but I was uh -huh. discovering this heavy music and I was watching these guys play live on stage I'm like, I want to do that. And then my friend is like, hey, why don't you play bass for us? I'm like, cool. So I was playing bass for the jazz combos, and I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a musician and play live on stage. Mm -hmm. So I went to college for music, got a degree in music audio tech. So um, I know how to do live sound, mixing, and mastering. I've recorded my own music. Um, when I was really taking it seriously, I wasn't really... I want to say that I was writing my music with my faith. Like, I, I was writing it in faith and talking about my faith and mm -hmm. my struggles in my life, but I was really doing it for myself. Mm -hmm. I, was trying to, I was trying to make it in the hard rock scene in Albany, New York, and that's where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And I uh, decided to put it off for a little while, for about like a year and a half. This was like 20... 2020 to like 2022, roughly, I didn't do music for a while. I did like, you know, 
playing at bars and restaurants and you know making yeah. money that way. But I didn't do any music, so to yeah. say. I didn't write for a while. Yeah. I was just like, well, this ain't going anywhere, so I'm not doing anything. So, and that's when I started getting into wrestling. We moved to Florida. Uh, me and my family moved to Florida around that time, like the 20, mm-hmm. like 2022. I stopped music, did wrestling. But it was that time that I felt God say to me, fly for the extreme tour. Mm. I went to church with a couple friends of mine. Um, they are a band that has been on the tour before. They're called Ignatian. And mm-hmm. when I was 16, they told me about the extreme tour. I'm like, you should check it out. I'm like, eh, okay. Didn't, didn't touch it for a while. Yeah. And then just a few years later, when I'm not really doing much music, I'm not writing, that's when I hear God say, apply for the extreme tour. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> so I apply, not really knowing what to do. I start applying and all of a sudden I get an email from the people, uh, probably you, most likely you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. probably so. and, um, he is the one that's organized, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I got invited to the objective, which is something that we do. We bring a lot of the artists together and it's more of a, us getting to know each other and um, you know, the objective was a mind-blowing experience, mm-hmm. and I got invited to go on the tour. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'd already released my EP. I'd been working on it as soon as I felt God calling me to go on this on this tour. And yeah, that's where I'm at now. I've been on the extreme tour on the West Coast when I wanted to go east. I didn't want to go west. <laughs> I wanted to go east, but God said you're going west. I'm like, yeah. Well, that's just great, but. <laughs> That's exactly where God had me, and it's where I needed to be. And it's mm. shaped me, and it's, I've been stretched yeah. in every way that you can think. But my faith has been strengthened, and my relationship yeah. with God is, is so much deeper now because of this tour. Manny, when you have a, a heart that's been captured by Jesus, um, it, uh, it shows up in this opposing way in your life of your heading down a road thinking this is what I want, this is what I want to do, and, and, and God will uh, just say, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, Manny, uh, let's see how content you are. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then you're not content, and you come back to the Lord, and he redirects you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and uh, that's beautiful. And, and, and I think that's something that is so important for anybody that, that senses that calling of God in their life is yet that heart captured by Jesus will always bring you back to your baseline mm-hmm. you know because there's many side roads many um, uh, distractions and things that appeal to us right well this looks like a secure way to uh, you know do something to make myself look good to bolster right. myself up and, and I, lo- I love the extreme tour uh, for that reason alone, is that that you guys are kind of counterculture to the music industry, and we'll talk <laughs> maybe more about that later. But um, let's uh, let's go to you, Sam. Sure. Um, your call to Jesus to, and uh, how uh, music and mission have um, unpacked in that. So Jesus was always around, even when I didn't recognize who he was. Mm. Um, my grandparents, all of my grandparents, uh, on my dad's side, my grandmother was Irish Catholic. My grandfather was a Russian Orthodox chaplain and priest. Uh, on my mom's side, 
my grandmother was Southern Baptist and all of her brothers are Southern Baptist ministers. And then my grandfather was an old Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was Buddhist. She had walked away and just kind of did her thing. Um, my dad was never really around. Uh, they split up before I was one, and he just kind of went his own way. Uh, we've reconnected in recent years, so that's it's really awesome to have that relationship yeah. again. But um, so Jesus was always there. My older sister, I remember when I was really young, she was going to a youth group, and the youth pastors we're all about the counterculture. Mm-hmm. You know, my sister was the counterculture. <laughs> and all of her friends were all the metalhead kids, drug dealers, like, and, and they were all going to this youth group at this Baptist church. And they gave me my first Bible. And I remember being a really young kid trying to read it and looking for, uh, you know, old King James. So I'm looking at it and going, oh, there's the swear word, right? Um, <laughs> um, but... That just illustrates how persistent God was then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through some trauma. My All of my siblings and myself went through trauma, mostly from two different people for the ladies versus uh, me and my brother. Um, and I didn't know how to handle that, and they all handled it in different ways. My brother actually... Um, broke and has he's a diagnosed uh, schizoaffective mm-hmm. and he has uh, disassociative identity disorder so mm-hmm. multiple personalities yeah um, and uh, I went a completely different direction I muted everything all emotion the only thing that I felt was anger and uh, my mom was a user I started actually with my older sister getting into my mom's stuff and then I was using for a while. Um, How old were you? 12. Started using at 12? Started using at 12. Uh, What kind of drugs? uh, Methamphetamine was the... Hmm. I I went straight into that. I didn't start anywhere else. (laughs) It was like there was no gateway anything. It was straight here. (laughs) And I was on a two-week bend. I finally came down, fell asleep, woke up, grabbed my pipe, and I heard a voice screaming at me. And I know what it is now. But then there was just this really loud whisper in my head that I was like, what? kind of terrified me, quite (laughs) frankly. But it said, if you do this one more time, you're going to have a heart attack. And you're how old? Fifteen. Fifteen. 15 years old. Wow. And I was like, okay, so I smashed my pipe. Mm -hmm. And I never picked it up again. Um, I went into a few other things to try and fill what was there. What God was doing was, uh, looking back at it now, I can see that God was taking that and removing that so that he could fill it, right? But I started doing other things so parties and then women and then I took all that stuff and I went all this isn't for me and I hooked up with a gang of straight-edge kids that were extremely violent um, out of Reno and Salt Lake City 
and it was not a healthy environment. And for the next couple of years, that's what I was doing. But I was going to these youth groups. When I was doing that searching, trying to find what it was, you know, all these things weren't doing it. What what am I doing? I started going to this youth group. And unfortunately, and I have since, <laughs> it's funny, um, the youth leaders there saw that I was a bad influence on the kids there and didn't want me around them for the protection of the kids. Mm -hmm. I understand it now, <laughs> but then mm -hmm. all I felt was rejection. Yeah. And all I, I didn't see, all I saw was burnt out faith, mm -hmm. right? And I felt like there is something out there. There is a God. Like my grandparents wouldn't feel this way um, and have such a strong faith if there wasn't something. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what it is because what they believe is what these people are talking about and what they have shown is that that's not real. Hmm. Right? Um, and so I'm agnostic. I believe there's something, but I don't know what it is. Because it's not this Christian God. And I end up homeless. And I tried out for a band right before I went homeless. And I'm sleeping in my car outside of a Denny's. Uh, three months go by after the tryout. And I scrape together some change. And I put minutes on my phone. Because this is back in the day when you had to put minutes on a phone. <laughs> um, and I get a phone call right when I turn the phone on. And I'm like, uh, this is strange. So I answer it, and it's this band, and they're like, hey, uh, we're really sorry. We, the drummer left. There was all this band drama, and you kind of got lost in the shuffle, but we really like you, and we would like to know if you would come meet with us and talk about what this is going to look like going forward. And I said, maybe. Where are you? And they're like, we're at Denny's. <laughs> You're in the phone booth outside Denny's. Or, right. Or I'm, not, I'm no, in my in car, car outside right. of Denny's. Outside Denny's. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, sure, yeah, I can come in. Just give me a minute. Um, I'll be right there. Uh, I go in. A couple of weeks go by, and I got a ride back from the guitar player, and he saw that I was sleeping in his car, in my car. And he didn't say anything about it then, and he drove off. And the next week, he came and picked me up. He took me up. And then on the way home, he said, hey, look, I have this space, and it's yours until you can get on your feet. You don't need to pay me anything. You, This is literally... I have it, and I can help. Mm -hmm. It's yours. And I walk into the apartment that my family had moved into when I was three. And it same is... Same apartment. The same apartment. Come on. The exact same apartment. And it's set up exactly the way we had set it up. And I walk into my old bedroom to a bed where my bed sat, and I sat down on that bed, and I was like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Right? And I go up to Dominic, and I said, why are you doing this? He goes, honestly, he'd only known me for about a month, like really known me. Mm -hmm. It was a tryout. He had barely met me, right? Um, why are you doing this? What compelled you to allow me to come in here when you don't know who I am? You don't know that I'm not going to do something. I'm, I'm not that kind of person now. I, my life has completely drastically changed. There's a lot more to that, but I won't get into that. Um, and he's like, well, I saw where you were sleeping, and God spoke to me and said that I needed to let you stay here if you would come in. 
Because Jesus wants you to know that he's real and that he loves you. Mm. And I'm tearing up now because I was wrecked. That wrecked me. Everything that I thought I knew was now thrown out the window because all of the things that people had been saying, I was now seeing. Mm -hmm. There was a demonstration of God's love in my life that led me to see that the declaration was real. Right? And fast forward some time, I'm in that band, we do some really good stuff, I'm with them for seven years, we did the Warp Tour, we did all kinds of stuff, it was a really wild thing, and their whole ethos was, we are fading out the silence of a Christian voice in a secular genre, and we were playing with straight up Satanist bands, and whatever we could get in to do uh, and be a ministry, well, that was what the talk was. Here's that declaration, but not the demonstration. Yeah. Is We're going to talk about doing these things. We're going to go to the events early. We're going to watch and support all the bands. We're going to be a light and a love to the people in the audience. We're going to do all these things. We're not going to hang out in a green room. We are going to do this yeah. uh, for real. But the reality was they would play and then leave. And then I would be sitting there. So I'm playing on a worship team, and the worship leader had been on the Extreme Tour in 2012 and said, hey, uh, I'm going out. I'm going to be the logistics manager. Our teams are broken up. There's a primary, a production, and a logistics. And the primary is in charge of everything, and these guys get the things done. Um, and then uh, she was going to be the logistics, but she needed a basis because her uh, – her bassist was her husband, and he was a police officer, and he couldn't get the time off to go on tour. Hmm. And so uh, I said, sure, yeah, I'll come out. And I had seen the Extreme Tour. In fact, that uh, 2005, the Extreme Tour came to my hometown and played at the youth group that I was going to. Hmm. And then in 2013, I'm now a leader of a youth group, and the Extreme Tour comes in to talk to our youth group before they did the event in our city. <laughs> So 2014, I'm now going out on the Extreme Tour for the first time and going, this is everything that my band was talking about and not doing. Mm. And we're going out and talking to people that were just like me. Mm. When I was stuck in my mess. Yeah. I got off the road. I'm working at General Electric, building wind turbines. They lay everybody off on Halloween 2014 uh, and outsourced it uh, outside of the country. And I was then stuck collecting unemployment and going, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? And I am just reading through my daily reading. I'm getting, I get through uh, Matthew and I start Mark and I get to Mark 117 and it's a story of Jesus standing at the lake shore calling out to Peter in the boat and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I was like, okay, here I go. <laughs> so I sold everything uh, and I moved out and I joined full-time staff. And I'm telling that more abbreviated because there's a lot more now in that as well. you're nine years deep. And now I'm nine years deep. This is yeah. my 10th tour on the extreme tour, yeah. ninth as full-time staff. 
you know, in your story, it's uh, just reflecting on how much God <clears throat> customizes uh, for for each person, and, mm -hmm. and like that, the the fact that you know to really get your attention, God takes you back to the bedroom, <laughs> right? That you had when you were first moved in at three, where all kinds of that place and would become a place of trauma in your life. And God brings you back there to show you his love. Yeah. And there's actually uh, some redemption in this as well. The youth group that I was going to, the leaders there, um, were my wife's aunt and uncle. Mm. And uh, we have now reconciled and everything, and we are very good friends. In fact, they decorated for our wedding. Nice. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, a beautiful bit of reconciliation mm. in there. God even had his hand there. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Wow. <laughs> wow. Damon. Uh, and I should mention uh, Damon's wife, Sharon's part of the team. Yes. She's hiding off camera. And uh, <laughs> she, she's definitely uh, a gift to the team. I'm watching her Absolutely. do a lot of the logistics and and uh, just uh, such a great presence as part of the team. But let's hear about Damon. You're called to Jesus and, and, and music and mission. How's that all go? Oh, wow, it's a, it's a spaghetti of a, of a story. So let me try to keep it all together as best as possible. As far as um, my call to Jesus, I grew up in a church. Um, uh, my mom was a single mom, so my mother and my aunt and I lived with my grandmother. My grandmother was a devout Catholic, and so we were very heavily into the Catholic Church. And I mean, until I was probably nine or ten years old, that's mm -hmm. that's what I knew. When my mom moved out, um, she sought something different, and our family had been a part of um, building the African Methodist Episcopal Church in the community. Uh, that we lived in so we kind of naturally gravitated back to that and and for my formulative years that's where I went to church um, very quickly I became a rebellious teenager I, I mean I wasn't a bad teenager but I felt like the church as it was being run was not right and I didn't know why it wasn't looking back I can say well they, they were very legalistic and mm -hmm. you know it was more performance based and all these things um, but it turned me off and so mm -hmm. as I'm getting into my high school years I start running away from the church not necessarily God I believe that there was a higher power excuse me but um, I didn't want anything to do with the church because of the experiences that I was having so I mm -hmm. you know I, I turned to um, self-glorifying um, spiritualism um, at one point I, I got pretty deep with the 5% nation of um, Islam mm -hmm. uh, which is Louis Farrakhan mm -hmm. um, and I thank God for sending me to the Middle East at 17 years old when I joined the military and the desert storm was just growing up because I was I was fully committed and then I found Jesus again really fast <laughs> um, when I was given a gun and, and, and told to to go fight in this war. So um, fast forward to that, I, I come back, um, I, I come back from the Middle East um, and I do my first four years in the military. I'm gonna start tying in the music portion of it. Um, my father is a professional musician. 
um, and he played uh, professional bass for a lot of years toward the world. Um, and uh, so music like Daniel, music was a part of my family. My father's mother was classically trained on piano and was also a jazz vocalist. So she would um, sing in uh, jazz clubs and, and, and upscale clubs between Baltimore and, and Washington, D.C. Um, a lot. My grandmother on my mother's side was also um, a vocalist, but she was singing the speakeasies, mm -hmm. so very different. My aunt was in a, a funk band as a, as a backup vocalist, so music was a part of me. I discovered hip-hop when I was young. Um, I think I was 13 when I discovered hip-hop. That's when I became serious about it. So that became my genre of choice. What was your first hip-hop name? Oh, you would ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> or did it change a lot? It changed a lot. But I do remember my very first hip-hop name. My first hip-hop name was Alpo D. And yes, it was based off of Alpo Dog Food. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for the yes. Yes. So, so I tell you all of that to, to you know, through I, I was very active um, in creating hip hop music when I was a teenager and in high school. And um, something that you may or may not know about hip hop culture is in the '90s, um, hip hop culture was steeped very deeply in the Five Percent Nation. A lot of the major artists at the time were, were five percenters. Mm. Um, and so it was just natural to be yeah. a part of that culture. Um, I, I go to the Middle East. I come back, and I'm in the military, so I'm still dabbling. Um, and I'm actually making a, a pretty good name for myself. So I, I come back. I've done my four years. And what, what has happened is that in the time that I got back from the Middle East and the time um, that my reenlistment was coming up, I'd made enough name for myself that I too was offered a major deal. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't say that it was a God moment that had me turn it down. I didn't even have an attorney at the time, but they wanted me to compromise mm -hmm. who I was mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, and I would walk away from that deal. I would later kick myself, but then I would later praise God for allowing me the wisdom to walk away from that yeah. deal. Mm -hmm. But I, I walked away from that deal. Um, I um, re-enlisted into the military and did uh, six more years. Um, I got married um, to my first wife, um, who has since passed, but I got married and she had two boys, so I had an instant family. Mm -hmm. So music took a backseat at that point because now I'm a husband and a dad. I'm just reestablishing my relationship with God, so I'm trying to figure that out. And she's encouraging me the best that she knows how, but it was a little <laughs> challenging sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and so music took a backseat. Um, well, in 2007, I don't remember the exact day, but I do remember the moment we went to church as a family. And church hadn't even begun, really. I think we were into the first worship song at that. And all of a sudden, I'm just overcome, and I become emotional, and I'm crying. Uncontrollably ugly, not pretty, just crying. Um, I remember two things about that. Um, I remember it was so bad or so good that um, service didn't happen that day. They just spent the next couple of hours just praying with me and over me. Um, but I also remember at the time my first wife was upset with me because I'd embarrassed her. Um, and 
that was unfortunate, but I would later come to realize that I was overcome by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing like that had ever happened to me before. Actually, I was very skeptical about spiritual gifts because I heard about them, mm-hmm. but never witnessed them. Yeah. That was one of my first encounters. So things started to change after that. Shortly after that, she was diagnosed with um, Game Beret Syndrome. Mm. Um, and by 2009, the Gillian Beret would um, claim her life. Mm. Um, but what it did in those two years is God showed me what unconditional love was because I had a choice. I could either take care of her as she's deteriorating, no matter what the cost, or I could walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took care of her. Um, she could not move for herself, could not feed herself. I had to wash her. I had to take her to the bathroom. I, I had to do everything for her. It was very humiliating for her because she had always been a strong woman. But for me, it taught me how to love without condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the midst of that, I'm raising her two boys. And, and by that time, I got in custody of my son as well. Um, I'm working three jobs because I have to maintain. And um, it was one of the jobs that I was working uh, where um, I, was, I met this young man. His name was Alberto. And Alberto's wife was a singer. And we just were talking about music as we were working our, our shift one time. And, and I mentioned that um, I was trained as an audio tech and that I had done music before. Mm-hmm. Um, not Beknownst to me, he was fact-checking the things that I was telling him. Uh-huh. Um, so he had, he had seen where I had worked with, um, like I had worked with Wu-Tang um, in the past and, and some other major hip-hop artists, and, and he found that information to be true. So he came to me and said, would you mind consulting on my wife's album? He's like, I'm, I'm paying for it, um, but I have no idea how to build an album or work on anything. Mm-hmm. So um, I started working with them. Um, and I did it at no charge because I was just happy to be a part of music while I'm still taking care of my wife and working yeah. three jobs and yeah. all the things that I'm doing. Um, as we're going through the project, my wife passes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, but before she passes away, um, Alberto had said to me, um, you should put an album out and as compensation for working with my wife, I'll help you get your album out. Wow. Shortly after my wife passed away, Alberto passed. Actually, I don't know who passed away first. Was it Alberto or was no, it Trina? It was, it was your wife. First. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so shortly after my wife passed away, Alberto passed away. Mm. And for a brief moment there, um, I was. Sonia had. We, we had a commonality because our spouses had passed. I was working with her music and she kept the promise that her right. husband made. Yeah. So she helped me to work on my first album, which was released in 2009 independently. Um, fast forward, you know, I'm doing some things locally. I'm living in Florida at this time. I'm doing some things locally. I'm, I'm going into the clubs mm-hmm. um, and I'm, it was a Christian album, a Christian hip hop album that I released and I'm, I'm like, God, if you put me in front of an audience, I will glorify your name. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking for tens of thousands of people in this audience because that's what the industry tells you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's got me doing clubs for ten or twelve people. Um, you know, I, I I'm going in the club. The sound man is cutting off my music because I'm I'm rapping about Jesus and they're trying to sell alcohol. Oh. You know that. Yeah. That's gotta something mute, that happens. Got to mute this business. brother. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
I, I had a confrontation with with a, a transgender rapper mm-hmm. at one of my events um, mm-hmm. because I was talking about God in mm-hmm. in the club, and they weren't happy about that. So these are the type of things that are going on. By 2015, I was worn out chasing the dream, mm-hmm. and I am seriously about to give up on the music dream. I hadn't hadn't released any music since the album, anything major since the album had come out. Um, by this time, I'd already met Danielle and we had started working on, excuse me, some minor stuff together. But in 2015, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get the email from him. <laughs> I get the email from Sam. It's my fault. Yeah, it, it is. It is your fault. I get the email, and, and if I'm being honest with you, I was a little skeptical when mm-hmm. I received the email. Sure. And at, by this time, I, I had um, met Sharon, and we we mm-hmm. were married. Mm-hmm. Um, and I showed her the email, and she said something to the effect of, "You, there there was a there was an application fee to apply for the mm-hmm. tour," and she said something to the effect of, "You spend more money on energy drinks, so." <laughs> What what is it going to hurt you? It, it was a it, it was a nominal amount. It wasn't anything. Dollars at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was nothing. <laughs> it was nothing. And so I was like, okay, whatever. Honestly, I expected nothing to come out of it. Um, by that was in October. By December of that year, I'd gotten an email saying, "Hey, come to Nashville." I was like, oh, this is real. But I had no money. Mm-hmm. I, I had no money. Um, just gotten remarried. I was in debt from the previous relationship, and you know we were just struggling to make ends meet, and you know just trying to blend this family of ours. Cause Sharon had had two kids as well, and and at the time I'm still taking care of um, my first wife's kids, as well as my own son. So it was it was a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember praying about it, but I never said anything out loud. And one day, I was in church, and. Uh, uh, one of the guys in the men's group was like, what? what's so wrong? What's wrong? Because I, I was, I, I don't have a good poker face. He was like, what's wrong? So I, I kind of explained to him. I'm like, yeah, I got invited to Nashville, and, and I feel like it's a really good opportunity. I just don't have the finance. And I left it alone. I walked yeah. away. Um, within a week, I had airfare, I had hotel, and I had rental car all yeah. donated to me. <laughs> all I had to do was come up with spending money, and, and Sharon figured that out. So, in May, um, Manny talked about the objective earlier. In May of that year, I, I went to Nashville to the objective. And again, like, as, just to reaffirm what Manny said, it was a life-altering experience. Mm. I knew then that God was not calling me away from music. He wanted me to change how I viewed the music. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so heart captured by Jesus, oh, right? absolutely, but yeah. I didn't learn my lesson because I came home, I was excited, and I started telling everybody I had not been accepted for the tour yeah. or anything. And matter of fact, one of the things they tell you is do not advertise the tour until you are accepted. Mm-hmm. I went home, I'm going 30 days on the East Coast and then I'm going to Japan, because at the time <laughs> they were still going to Japan. And I'm trying to raise money so I can go to Japan and do all this stuff. <laughs> And it didn't happen. <laughs> so that's 2016. 2017 comes around. I'm asked to reapply. I reapply. Didn't happen. <laughs> 2018 comes around. And I understand God was waiting for me to mature. He was allowing me to mature. Because I started doing more um, events in, mm-hmm. in the local area. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to start doing prison ministry with Danielle. Mm-hmm. So I was able to learn some things that I needed to know before I went yeah. on the road. Because in 2018, I applied and I had the chance. 
And much like Manny, I wanted to go East Coast, but all they had available was West Coast. Mm-hmm. How am I going to get to the West Coast? God provided. Again, it was a situation mm-hmm. where I didn't have the resources, but um, God put it together. So Jumped in the van with me. I did. I, I flew <laughs> I flew from Tampa to Los Angeles. Sam and his wife picked me up. Well, at the time, it was his fiance girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah, mm-hmm. they picked me up from LAX, and um, I rode in the van with them. And, and that two weeks rocked my world I'm not even going to talk about it because that's another two and a half hours but that two weeks rocked my world <laughs> mm-hmm. so much so that when I came home in my heart I knew that this was what I, I was supposed to do mm-hmm. but um, we had literally just bought a house our oldest daughter started her first year in college our next daughter was getting ready to graduate my my biological son was dealing with um, mental health issues mm-hmm. um, and then um, I was in a quasi custody battle with um, for the other two boys with their biological fathers. So there was a lot going on. Um, I'm going to try to fast forward. Uh, January of, of the next year, of 2019, one of the leaders that was on the tour shoots me a message, hey man, I really feel like God is telling me to tell you that he wants you to be on the tour. I'm like, that's cool. And I yeah. felt the same thing, but I'm like, that's cool. I, I didn't think anything about it. A few days later, another leader reaches out to me and is like, hey, man, I think God is calling you to the tour. And I'm like, hmm, okay, this is interesting. A few days later, a third leader reaches out to me. I was told to send you these podcasts because we feel like God is calling you to be a part of the tour. Hmm. I'm like, okay, this is serious. God is doing yeah. something. Yeah. I listened to the first podcast, um, and I'm already sold. They didn't have to sell me that. Mm-hmm. I was already going to write the check. I was already sold. But the thing that caught me is they said, um, don't do this if you don't have um, the support of your spouse. So I remember I had to, I had to come home and, and tell my wife. And I remember I was terrified because I listened I to the podcast that. at work. Yeah. And so we were riding home um, in the car because my, my wife worked, we both worked downtown Tampa, so we carpooled. And we were riding home and, and, and I told her, I said, I think um, I'm supposed to do this. And I love my wife because her response, I don't know if it was right there in the car when we got home, but I remember the response. She looked at me and she just had this this cute grin on her face that she always has. And she said, it's about time. <laughs> She's like, God told me long before we got married that we were going to do ministry together. And now I see what that ministry is. Yeah. And so wow. with that, I, I told the guys, here we go. And so that started the, the, the road to the extreme tour. So 2019 was my official first year. Mm-hmm. Um, as staff, I came out as an intern in 2019 and then been full-time ever since. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> about to share it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when, when I think about what you guys do together, <clears throat> and, and different artists will come in on a tour mm-hmm. and it's always shifting, but there's there's a there's something in in the spirit that happens right like you are coming into cities that are towns that you may not know uh, I don't know think anybody here knew about Windsor before you came <laughs> uh, and that may be a reoccurring theme of going <coughs> to to new places oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, finding out uh, you know who's who's part of the body of Christ here that we're gonna Mm-hmm. associate with while we're here uh, what's God up to mm-hmm. in this city mm-hmm. how what's unique about this place so it's almost like 
in the same way that we would, you know, go to a Bible study and exegete the scripture, right? We're going to get into the meaning of it. We're yes. going to mm -hmm. unpack it and, and, and do some research here. We want to mm -hmm. know what the message is. Um, so I'm curious, just uh, as you've only been here a few days, but just, uh, you know, from your first read, um, what are some things that you feel God is saying about Windsor? Uh, saying wow. to you or, or things that, uh, that we need to hear? I'm going to say one thing, and I will let you guys cover it from here. But it's, we've been talking about this for the last couple of days. The Axe Church. Yes. Yep. Yes. That's what we see here. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. The body coming together, regardless of, like, just look at, at you guys are kindred spirits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, we are here now at New Song. Uh, working alongside you guys and partnering with you uh, and hopefully we are an effective tool for what you guys are already doing yeah you are and you are. like it is absolutely beautiful absolutely beautiful from the soup shack to the community dinner mm -hmm. to just everything that we've seen like just looking at Roger's board yeah. of, oh, yeah. of yeah, all of yeah. that stuff yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is the body working together for the betterment of the community mm -hmm. of all shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And that is what God has called us to do. And so for us, it has been, and I, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I'm pretty sure that this is true for everybody. It has been so uplifting and edifying to see how God is moving here in Windsor. Absolutely. It yeah. is beautiful Absolutely. and uh, just fills my heart with joy yes. to be able yeah. to be here and a part of what you guys are doing. Here. Absolutely. Yeah. One, of, one of the great things about this experience is, is early on this tour season, um, when we were on the West Coast of the United States, we had an artist with us who was extremely passionate about um, the unity of the body. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he would talk a lot about um, the need for the body to come together, especially in the States. Um, where you know everything's so divided. Everything is so that everybody's. It's almost like a competition, and and I don't mean to paint it as a bad picture, but you know it's about getting butts in seats and mm -hmm. you know um, that type of thing. And coming here, it brings those conversations full circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we are seeing a unified body that cares about the community more than they care about the what the congregation looks like and what yeah. I mean by that is we're not hung up on our brand exactly yeah. exactly and that has been a blessing it's it's um you know I'm I'm still processing but for me I have a lot to take back mm -hmm. and, and and to unpack and and I'm sure it will shape um, my approach to how I serve as a part of the extreme tour mm going forward because it, it really is a beautiful example that we're witnessing here. There's only one other place that we visited on tour this year that even comes close and the community is vastly smaller. Alturas, California yeah. is a really, really small town where they had seven churches partnered together? They had six. They were waiting on the seventh because of the prophecy. You're right. <laughs> they, had, they had six churches of wildly different denominations all partnered together 
to reach out to the community, not just with the Extreme Tour event, but with other things that they were also doing. Mm-hmm. And that, like, there's only eight churches in the entire community total. <laughs> yeah. And they had six of those eight, and they're trying to get that one more. And I was just like, this feels like that, but on a yeah. city scale. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 That's what it feels like here. The unity of the body is palpable. Yeah. Like the the respect that everybody has regardless of denominational difference, mm-hmm. uh ethnic background. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the, the Chaldean church here is strong. Oh yeah. Um re- regardless of what denomination they're coming from, mm-hmm. whether it's Catholic or some other Protestant mm-hmm. Uh, Gnostic. They're Catholic, yeah. The Chaldean. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's it's awesome. Yeah. It's I so cool. I, I was sharing with the group the other day. I said one thing that has caught my attention is that everyone that we've met, not just at New Song, but, you know, everyone that you guys have introduced us to, they haven't lost their passion. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we yes. see that a lot with being in ministry. It's like... Um, when you, if you go into like a low income or, or place where they're, they're, they have addictions, over a period of time, those who serve have the propensity to become bitter. Yeah. Because you're seeing the same people doing the same thing, coming back with the same problems. And when you speak to that person, they, it's, it's like something has switched off inside them. And it's like, oh, well, it's just so-and-so. And, yeah. you know, they're just whatever. And wonder what they're going to do today. Everyone that we spoke to, still has a passion mm. to serve. Okay. They have a passion for the Lord, but they still have that same passion to serve. And we don't mm. see that that often. Mm. And that inspires us because within the tour, the tour itself is a machine that ministers from within and without. Mm-hmm. Because not everyone who comes on, on as artists are walking with the Lord, mm-hmm. you know? so. It, it goes both ways. So yep. you add that on to going into a, a place where first time city or something, you don't know the people, um, the, the spiritual warfare is heavy, you can leave a city drained. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. completely mentally, emotionally, and spiritually drained. Yeah. This is one of the few places that we've gone to that because of the camaraderie within the community, mm-hmm. Even though we're here and we're pouring out, we we're being poured into quicker than we can yes. we can pour out. Yes. The cup is overflowing. <laughs> yes, yes, we it, it's it's like we're we're trying to keep up with the servitude here. It's like, we're not I talking do? about food either. Right, right. It's like what can I do to help? Oh no, we we got it. We're good. you know we're 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 good. It's like yeah. we're seeing such an example of the. The, the ecclesiastic church it's it's phenomenal it's something that we pray for in the states mm-hmm. um but we very f- seldomly see so i i will say that you you guys here represent the father well mm-hmm. thank you and it's an honor to serve yes. i i can't say for you know yeah. i will speak for us it's an honor to serve with you absolutely i yeah. don't feel like we're competing with not you we're all. not competing no. with the community but it is an honor and a privilege to serve our Father yeah. with you. So thank you. Well, part, part of what I see in the Extreme Tour is that there very much is a servant heart. That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're not coming in expecting 
the communities you're going to and, and the churches that partner to, uh, you know, set up the green green room with uh, all the red M and M's taken up. I mean, like you guys, you just you just land and you're ready to serve and, and you have such Which a humble heart. Which is funny because when I first was talking to Roger about coming, he had mentioned, oh yeah, we could set up a room for you guys where you can go and and relax after you perform. I'm like, no, don't do that. Right. We want to be with the we want to be with the community. And it's yeah. like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's wonderful to be with the community and to be a part of this whole thing like you said it really is an honor and it's a blessing to yeah. to yeah. serve like yeah. and to serve with you guys like just just to be a part and yeah it's yeah I'm, yeah. Still, I'm still just like this is amazing you know like, <laughs> this is great yeah it's so yeah. good to be here yeah oh this is this is great you know um uh, we're we're just about out of time, and we got to get get ready to to start uh, shifting over to the Glengarry yes. neighborhood. Yes. But uh, before we go, um, any uh, anyone have a parting thought on uh, that you want to share? Uh, the, the the podcast is specifically about God at work in Canadian cities, and mm -hmm. that's why I wanted sure. to include you guys because uh, you're in a Canadian city this mm -hmm. week, yeah. and. Mm. But um, first time back since seventeen. Yeah. In fact, yeah. first time here. Period for me. Yeah. <laughs> first time trip. But just uh, anyone have anything uh, you wanna you wanna leave uh, our listeners with? Yes, God at work in Canadian cities. I, I can. I, I would speak about Ottawa because I've done some ministry work there in the past, but I will speak specifically about Windsor, um, from the lights of hope. Mm -hmm. That was the vigil for people who had overdosed? Absolutely. Yeah. To the soup shack, even the mm -hmm. experience with the, the, the Serenity Coffee House here. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mentioned um, one thing that struck me was when we went over to the, the coffee house that you guys recommended to us, and we told them that we came from over here. The, the one young lady was kind of shocked that, you know, they would recommend somebody to come over here, but the other guy was he didn't even bat an eye. What I'm seeing, the way that I see God working here is that um, because you are unapologetic about your faith, but you're also unapologetic about your love for this community, mm -hmm. that God is free to work here, you are operating in obedience. You've been called to a thing and you are obediently responding to that. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting in the way of what God is doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a beautiful thing. One of the things we learned on the tour is that our only measure of success is obedience. Were we obedient to respond to what God has called us to? And again, and we've said it till we're blue in the face, you guys are an example of that. And so if this is the model that is being rolled out, um, then you know it, it, it's no surprise to me that I had a similar experience in Ottawa similar experience in Vancouver, even though that wasn't a mission trip. I can see mm -hmm. that if, if this is the attitude that, that is, is being approached, that it's a, an attitude of obedience, then yes, God will continue to work and bless your efforts richly. And uh, I, I, I don't mean that just as New Song Church, but I mean that as the body collectively that's mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. and across the country for that matter. So yeah. again, I'm, I'm just honored um, to have the privilege to witness it and be a part of it for such a time as this. And Amen. I hope that we can take that example back Amen. with yeah. us. Yeah. 
Well, if I can help uh, get you guys uh, booked into some other Canadian cities. Yes, please. Yes, please. Absolutely. We would love to continue this work. Yeah. If you need us to do a concert at the brisket place, uh, we will sacrifice. It will be hard, but we can accommodate. Yeah, yeah. You'll sing for your supper. You better sing before your supper because afterwards, there will be none. You'll be going to sleep. There'll be no pushing any notes off the bat. And I got to say, man. Uh, you you make my love for baritone guitar go even deeper. So thanks for yes. uh, picking it yes. up and throwing those parts yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to use it. It's yeah. a whole new world for me, but it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Spending a week with the Extreme Tour was a great privilege. I feel like I made some new friends uh, with the members of that team. And it also makes me think that in Canada, uh, there's probably a lot of opportunities in urban ministry for us to develop something like the Extreme Tour. Let's find uh, our um, musicians and artists who have a sense of mission and uh, band them together and uh, do, uh, do incredible outreaches into d difficult neighborhoods throughout our uh, nation. On our next episode, I'm going to be talking to Aaron White. Aaron. Uh, has just written a new book uh, called Recovering, and uh, he speaks from uh, a vast uh, realm of experience. He lives in Vancouver and uh, works at a ministry in the East Hastings neighborhood called Jacob's Well. In that context, uh, he is dealing with uh, the extremes of addiction, the extremes of mental health and poverty, and uh, learning uh, what it means to be a disciple and a disciple maker in that context. So please come back for our next episode. Until that time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and you're listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.